glad you are with us. I think it goes without saying is what a week it has been. Uh, But yet, it seems like in the darkest of times is the opportunity for the church to shine brightest. So I want to encourage you uh, that this is an opportunity for us to show the hope of Christ, the love of Christ, uh, the care and the power of Christ through prayer. And so let's be neighborly as this goes on. Uh, Check on your neighbors. If you haven't seen your neighbor, maybe give them a call. Knock on their door. Uh, You know, for heaven's sake, share a roll of toilet paper uh, with your neighbor. No greater love than this than a man who shares his teepee with another. So I'm pretty sure that's in First Opinions chapter 2. So share your teepee. But check on your neighbors. Uh, this is a time that we as a community, not only as a church, but as a city and as a neighborhood, need to come together. We need to set aside any differences we might have with our neighbors and, and take care of one another. Make sure, check in on one another that we're all okay. You know, the church has always excelled during hardships. This virus gives us an opportunity as a church to excel and to show the love and the hope of Christ. And so take advantage of that this week. Let's, let's capitalize on this opportunity to love people and to make a difference. You know, we're not a people driven by fear, but by faith. And so you may feel fear, and that's okay. As we talked about, fear is an involuntary response. When our emotions and our mind get overloaded, fear is just a physiological response uh, to the circumstances. But we as Christians want to rise above that because we know our God is still in control. We know that no matter what we face, it's not too difficult for him. And so this is an opportunity for us to hunker down in prayer, to pray for one another, to pray for our nation, to pray for our leaders, that God may give them wisdom and that something beautiful may come out of the ashes of this, of this epidemic. You know, the virus doesn't change the fact that we're people of faith. And if there's ever been a time where the world needs to see our faith exercised, it's now. You know, we may not have all the answers. We may be just as susceptible to this virus as the next person, but we can rise above the fear and the worry by our faith in God. So with that said, let's be neighborly. Let's pray for one another. Let's look after one another. Let's wash our hands. Let's cover our coughs. If you're showing symptoms, let's quarantine ourselves and call our physicians, our doctors, and that we can get through this together as a people, as a nation. Uh, But over the next four weeks, as we head into Easter, and can you believe that Easter is almost here? As we head into Easter, I want to share with you a series of messages as we unpack the names of Jesus. See, throughout the Bible, God has referred to himself or revealed his nature, his character to us through the various names that he's given us. See, the more we know about God's character and his nature, the more we can predict his actions. See, in the Old Testament, God taught us about himself through his names. For example, he gave us the name Adonai, which means the Lord or my great Lord. And the application of this name is that God is master and he's the majestic Lord. There's none higher, none greater than him. He also gave us the name Elohim, the all-powerful one, the creator The application is God who knows all, who sees all, who creates all, and who is everywhere at all times. Don't we need to know that today? 
And God is everywhere at all times. He sees everything that's going on. Uh, another name God gave us to describe himself was El-Rohi. And it means God who sees me. And the application is a more intimate one in the sense that God knows us and he knows our troubles. I want you to know today that even though the world seems to be in chaos, God knows right where you are. God knows right how you're feeling and what you're going through. And he is able and capable of calming your fears and comforting you in your time of need. And then he also gave us the the name El Shaddai, which means all-sufficient one. The application is our problems are not too big for God. Isn't that a comfort to know this morning? That our problems are not too big for God. It may be over our head, but it's well under his. He is in control and he is able to handle our problems. See, these names teach us about God, but more so about what God is capable of doing. You know, this week, I want to send you this chart of the names of God. So if you're not on our mailing list, you need to be on it. You can do one of two things. You can leave your email in the comments, and I'll add it to our mailing list later. Or you can email me at mike at camlpitas.org, and I'll make sure to add that your name to our mailing list and get you this list of the names of God. But I want to encourage you with that this week. You know, in the New Testament... <clears throat> Jesus made several statements that defined who he is that revealed his Godship. In the times we're in, we need to pray. We need to call on the mighty names of God for victory over our circumstances and our fears. And so this morning, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, to understand one part of who Jesus is today. And it says this, starting with verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, this is Jesus talking, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and when those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means... I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that as we hear your word, maybe from a distance today, that you would speak to us. That you would reveal to us another facet of your character so that we can have another promise that we can lock onto that we can trust you in our time of need. And so, God, this morning, if there's ever been a time where we've needed rest, it's now. So, God, I pray that you would help us to set aside every worry and every fear and trust in your sufficiency to carry every need we bring to you. So, God, open up our ears to hear you this morning, what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a lot in this life that can lead to unrest. 
This week has clearly shown that. Fear can cause unrest. Worry, stress, anxiety, these can cause unrest. Money can cause unrest. Work can cause unrest. Maybe even relationships you're in or relationships around you can cause unrest. These are just some of the things that can lead to unrest in our life. And you know, a lack of rest in your life, both uh, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically, can have a negative impact on you. It can completely disrupt everything in your life. And in the Bible, there is a time of rest known as the Sabbath, which was a central part of the Hebrew life. For us to understand what's happening here in our text in Matthew 12 as Gentiles, here, we need to understand what the Sabbath is. See, the principle of the Sabbath was first established in Genesis chapter 2 when we read how after God created the world and everything in it, he rested and blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, you know God didn't need to take a nap. God wasn't tired from his work or from his creating because Psalm 121 says that God neither sleeps nor slumbers. God is never in need of a break or of rest. But from the beginning of time, God built a rhythm into our work week with a day of rest for you. See, we were created as human beings for work and for rest. See, work without rest makes us a slave to work. But rest without work makes us lazy. See, to avoid work is to deny the natural rhythm of work and rest that makes us complete. Just as God worked and then rested, as people who are made in his image, we are designed for that same pattern of work and rest in our life. Look what the Bible has to say about work as it pertains to you and I. In Genesis chapter 2, he says, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So we were created for work. God literally puts us in the garden and says, you are required to work. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Or look at Proverbs chapter 14. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Now, I'm at a conflict with this verse because in my line of work, I do a lot of talking. So I'm not sure what that's gonna, how that plays out for me. But the idea is we're supposed to work. If we just sit around and talk all day, it leads to poverty. But through working and toiling, there is profit. Look what Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9 says. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys See, when you don't work, it's the equivalency of you tearing down the work of others. And then look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. The Apostle Paul says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, let him work, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So you and I were created to work. To work is in our DNA yet it needs to be balanced by rest. See, the significance of the Sabbath for the Jewish man or woman 
was elevated by the fact that it was included in the Ten Commandments. One of God's Ten Commandments was you will uh, rest. You will uh, have a Sabbath. The Exodus 20 is the second time uh, a Sabbath is mentioned after the principle was established originally in Genesis chapter 3. Now that word Sabbath means this, cease, desist. Sabbath is more than sleeping. Sabbath is not being lazy one day a week. It's an intentional break from your normal routine of work. Yet after the introduction of sin into the world through Adam and Eve, our work, our labor took on a different experience because we've become slaves to work. Let me explain what this means. See, it's something that we have to do now in order to survive. Genesis chapter 3 says, You will eat by the exhausting labor of your hands. Part of the punishment of rebelling against God was work became this thing that had to be done. It was no longer out of pure enjoyment of keeping what God had created, but now it was a matter of sustaining our own life. But God, in his mercy, predetermined that we would be relieved from our labor every six days. It was something we could look forward to. It was like the reward, a reward of a hard work week. See, the day was marked as holy by God for the purpose of you and I spending a part of that time turning our attention to God. See, it was a celebration and a reconnecting with God and giving thanks for his blessing as well as spending time with friends and loved ones. See, in Hebrew culture today, uh, many still celebrate with prayer, uh, with family, with friends, with going to the synagogue to hear the, the Torah read and the words from the prophets read, as well as with food. Amen. Amen. See, there was something, this was something every devout Jewish person followed as instructed by the written law. But there was also an oral law which was a guideline passed down from generation to generation to aid them in following the written law. These were traditional instructions passed on from generation to generation on how to obey God's instructions given to them. Now, doesn't that seem counterproductive? We've got rules to help us follow the rules. Seems like a lot of work. As it pertained to the Sabbath, they had rules about what you could do and what you could not do. In the oral law, they stated how many steps you could take on the Sabbath before you were working and violating the Sabbath. They had a list of what activities were forbidden and what were allowed. Over time, though, these rules became a burden which removed the joy out of the purpose of God giving us a Sabbath. See, more than enjoying the Sabbath, you were concerned about not doing the wrong thing on the Sabbath. See, it was this mentality, this tradition that provoked Jesus to say in Mark chapter 2, that the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. See, the focus of the Sabbath had turned into a rule-keeping mechanism, not celebrating God. The rules became work unto themselves, 
and caused unrest from fear that you weren't resting properly. See, they had become a slave to the Sabbath when the Sabbath was made for them. So during one Sabbath, as we read from our text this morning, as Jesus and the disciples were presumably heading to the temple for the reading of the Torah and the prophets, they were accosted by a group of Pharisees who witnessed one of the disciples plucking a head of wheat to eat. The Pharisees considered this as working, thereby they were breaking the Sabbath, and Jesus was condoning the breaking of the Sabbath. So Jesus decides to use this moment to bring correction to their understanding of the Sabbath. He says this, have you not read, which is the equivalent of, you guys should know this. You should know all about what I'm going to tell you right now. And he reminds them that there were exclusions to observing the Sabbath. See, David, whom Israel revered, took the showbread, which was designated for the priest to eat only, and he used it to feed his band of fighters. Yet Scripture, nor the Pharisees, condemned David's actions, but understood that in the moment, hunger overruled liturgical provisions. If they did not condemn David for his actions, then they have no right or reason to condemn the disciples for plucking wheat to eat. And he follows up with pointing out how the priests work on the Sabbath. They're offering sacrifices throughout the day for the people and they're cleaning up uh, the mess that, that is made. Yet no one finds them guilty of breaking the Sabbath. This was considered acceptable even though it was working on the Sabbath. Now understand that Jesus is not challenging the practice of the Sabbath nor the written law of God, but the traditions and rules imposed for keeping the Sabbath. Jesus said uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, uh, or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, all the laws in the Old Testament point towards Jesus, and they find their fulfillment in Jesus. See, all uh, Jesus challenges the Pharisees' knowledge by saying, If you had known what this means, <clears throat> I desire mercy and not sacrifice. <clears throat> then you would not have condemned the guiltless. The law of the Sabbath was wrapped in mercy, which the Pharisees had lacked. It was the mercy and the compassion of God and God's people that distinguished them as being set apart and belonging to God. Now in this passage, just before Jesus is, and his disciples are accosted by this group of Pharisees, Jesus is teaching. He says something that leads into this situation perfectly. In Matthew 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, he says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. See, in Hebrew culture, a yoke was a teacher or a rabbi's ways of doing things. So what Jesus is saying is that this is how you've been doing things, but it's only adding to your unrest. 
But by doing things my way, you'll find rest for your weary soul. See, when Jesus claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, he was declaring that our rest would not come from fulfilling or following laws or rules, but it would come from him. It would come from knowing him. See, furthermore, rest is not something simply to be experienced or encountered one day a week, but we can experience every day as we celebrate Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. So you can sleep for eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a day, but only God can give you a good night's rest. You can take a vacation and spend hundreds or maybe tens of thousands of dollars. Well, if you're going on vacation for hundreds of thousands of dollars, we need to talk about your giving to the church first. But you can take a vacation, but only God can refresh you. See, what Jesus is teaching is that there's only one path to complete rest, and that's learning from him and taking on his yoke. See, there is no rest. There's no rest outside of Jesus. See, he gives rest to your soul, which no amount of sleep can produce. See, what Jesus wants you and I to know this morning is that he's done all the work so you no longer have to work for your rest. So in closing, this is a point of action for you this morning. If you're in need of rest, draw near to Jesus. And we can do that by these three things. First, by meditating on his word. Spend time. I've gotten into the habit of the first thing I do is I pop my cup underneath the Keurig and I open up my Bible and I begin to spend time in God's word while nobody's awake, while it's quiet in the house and just meditate on his word. See, that will lead to rest. That will cause your soul and your spirit to put its trust in God no matter what you're gonna face in the day. So spend time in God's word. Meditate on God's word. The second thing you can do is be in prayer. I tell you, there's something genuine and real that happens when we cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. So you spend time praying. Send, spend time talking with God, knowing that you have a friend that sticks closer to a brother who hears every prayer and who begins to move on our behalf when we pray. So spend time in prayer and you'll find yourself at rest in him. And then we can draw near to him and become, find our rest by sitting in his presence. And we can do that through worship, we can do that through serving. How do I work and, and find rest? Because the priest offered sacrifices during the Sabbath, but it wasn't work because it was his worship. It was working unto the Lord, and God brought a tremendous amount of peace and rest upon them. So through serving, you can find rest. <clears throat> and through giving, God is a giver. And when we give, we are aligning ourselves with his character and his nature. And we're no longer having to work for our value, for our provision, or for our own uh, well-being. Because we know that God is going to take care of us. 
So be in his word, be in prayer, and spend time in his presence daily. See, it's not something you just have to do once a week, but it's something you can do every day and be at rest in him. And so as Jesus told us, take on his yoke, learn from his ways, obeying his word produces rest 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether our world's in chaos or not, God will give you rest. As the psalmist says, he'll prepare a table before you in the midst of your enemies. So no matter what's going on around you, you'll be at rest as you go towards him to find your rest. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that no matter what we face, Your word is greater. I thank you, God, that no matter the chaos, no matter how we feel, that, God, it doesn't silence faith, but it is an opportunity for us to speak faith into that moment that we may align ourselves with your character and with your nature. And, God, today, more than ever, we need rest. Our mind needs rest. Our emotions need rest. Our soul needs rest. For some of us today, our spirit needs rest because we're fighting with sin. And we have yet to make you the Lord of our life. God, I pray that today, everyone who's watching, that they've made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, having their sin forgiven, that their spirit, their soul may be at perfect rest. And God, I believe this morning that when we take upon your yoke and learn from you, you'll even give rest to our bodies. God, remind us this morning that we were made for work and for rest. You have built a rhythm into our existence. And that when both of these components are not intentionally done, that our life is out of balance and out of sync. So convict us if we've focused on rest and have become lazy or that we're too focused on work that we're not finding time to rest in you. God, may you convict us this morning of that. And God, I pray today that no matter what we're facing, that your peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts in Christ Jesus today. So God, thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that no situation, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, God. Fear will not win, but God, faith will overcome all fear. So God, I pray this morning that you would give our homes a sense of peace today and help us to bask and to marinate in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.